So great a mercy. 
He's alive. 
Jesus.
Jesus, yes. Praise the name. pray. Heavenly Father, you've, you hear this morning the voices of the saints. And all around the world, the church collectively cries out in worship of the resurrected Son of God. We stand here this morning, Father, because our Savior is alive. It's your power, your grace, your kindness, your goodness, your awesome, awesome power that has raised Jesus from the dead. And because of this, we can sing for endless days songs of worship and praise. We give glory to you, O God give glory to you, Son, Jesus Christ, the resurrected Son of God. We thank you, God, today for this opportunity to worship together. May this not be a tradition or a holiday. May this not be just another Easter. But Lord God, would you speak to us in a way, may we see the resurrection in such a fresh and powerful way this morning lives would be forever changed. And it's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I know we, we sort of did it at the beginning, but let's try it, try it again. He is risen. Amen. And that is why we're here. That is why we worship. It's the hope of the Christian faith. It's, it's the only, only thing we have. It's our leg to stand on. And I would love for you to join me in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you don't happen to have a Bible with you, there are some in the pews there. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And while you're, you're turning there, we just want to extend a special welcome to you. Uh, for those of you who may be visiting this morning or haven't been here in a little while, uh, we want to extend a special welcome. Is the, you might see some binders pass by in your row. Those are uh, what we call our attendance binders. Those are just ways for us to be able to communicate uh, with one another. So if you have a prayer request or would like some more information about the church as, you, as those go by, just make sure you make note of that and we would love to get in touch with you and, and know how we can help you or serve you or bless you in any, any way possible. Um, we've, been, we've been working through the book of 1 Corinthians and I was, as I was praying about what, to, what passage uh, to preach on this morning, it just felt natural to continue in 1 Corinthians. So I'm cheating just a little bit because we're still back in uh, chapter 12, 13 area, and we will go back there. But I want to jump ahead to chapter 15 because 1 Corinthians 15 is the clearest, most um, uh, theologically robust passage about the resurrection in all of the scriptures. We usually turn to one of the gospel accounts on Easter morning. And rightfully so. Those are precious passages. 
Uh, but this morning, since we've been in 1 Corinthians, I wanted to continue there and hear what the Apostle Paul had to say about the resurrection. Now, we won't cover the whole chapter this morning. That'll, we'll come back to it here in future sermons. But what occasioned this was the Corinthians were asking questions about their own resurrection. And so the Apostle Paul wanted to talk about and come back to this, the most important day in all of human history. You know, we've, we recognize that there are some important days in history, uh, depending on how much of a history buff you are. Maybe you've got some in your own mind that are like, oh no, that ranks towards the top. Maybe if we go way back uh, to 12-15, June 15th, 1215, we see the signing of the Magna Carta and how that changed the Western world. On August 3rd, 1492, when Christopher Columbus set sail from Spain and forever changed uh, the course of uh, this nation's history. July 4th, 1776, the Declaration of Independence. June 6, 1944, D-Day. Uh, you all have your own Days that are extremely important to you, precious days, days that are forever etched in your memory, for good or for bad. But I would argue from a scriptural standpoint that this day, the day of the resurrection, the day that Jesus emerged victorious from the grave, was the most important day in all of human history. For it was on that day that salvation became real and available to all who would believe. Without the resurrection, what Paul is going to say in this passage, our faith is empty. Our faith is worthless. There's nothing, nothing about our faith that holds any weight or merit without the resurrection. I want to just read the first 11 verses of 1 Corinthians 15 together. If you would follow along in, in your copy of the scriptures. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 1. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth. He says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins. In accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And then he appeared to Peter and then the twelve. And then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that it was in me. Whether it was I or they, so we preached, and so you believed." This passage goes on to say, with regards to the significance of the resurrection, that if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, verse 12, how then can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? For if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. As we think about the resurrection I want us to see, first of all, that the resurrection is historically factual. 
that the resurrection is historically factual. As the Apostle Paul recounts here in this, in this section of 1 Corinthians 15, he states that this resurrection was, in verse 4, in accordance with the Scriptures. That means that the Scriptures before, the, the Scriptures that were written before about Jesus, before He even lived, before He even walked this earth, declared that He would rise from the dead. Now, many of the Old Testament saints and believers did not see this. It wasn't something that they understood in any way. But after the fact, as they combed through the Old Testament scriptures, it began to emerge. They began to see it for real. In fact, Peter preached this amazing sermon in Acts chapter 2. And if you want to flip over there to Acts chapter 2, um, I just want to read the end of this sermon because it's so powerful and so profound. And he's going to quote Psalm chapter 22, looking forward to... Uh, I'm sorry, Psalm, Psalm chapter 16 is what he refers to, the 16th Psalm. He's going to quote the 16th Psalm in reference to Jesus' resurrection right in the middle of his sermon. So Peter's preaching, and he's out in the open air. He's not like in a church service where there's only believers. There's, there's all kinds of people out in the open, some who believe, most who don't believe, most who are wondering what this crazy guy is carrying on about, and, and they're listening to him As he proclaims this, Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 22, he says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified, you killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up. Loosing the pangs of death because it's not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, and this is the quote from Psalm 16. I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. And you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Peter goes on to say, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of all that we are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out to you that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. You see, Peter knew that the Word of God had spoken of this life-changing, history-altering event a thousand years before Jesus walked the earth. And Peter says, do you see it? Do you hear it? The Scriptures are fulfilled right here in front of you. He's going to go on to call them to believe. And many did Yet many walked away. And such has been the response down throughout history. In fact, Jesus 
talked about those who take the path to follow Jesus being a narrow path with few travelers upon it. Most will turn their backs. Most will reject the Messiah. Even those who could, like, like there were eyewitnesses alive that could back up what he was preaching about. And even in that day, they found reasons to turn away, to reject the Messiah, found reasons not to believe. In verses 5 through 8, back here in 1 Corinthians 15, he goes on, and we won't read it again, but he, he listed a number of the people who got to see him alive, all the eyewitnesses who touched him, who spoke to him, who interacted with him. I start off this morning by saying the resurrection is historically factual. There's much more we could say, and there's many more great resources out there to describe this and delve in further. But the reality is that very few of us, very few of our hearts are stirred by facts and figures. Very few of us are moved by data, factual information. Most of us, rather, our lives are impacted by the power of story. And what the Apostle Paul beckons us into this morning is to the story of the resurrection. To encounter the risen Savior. You see, we can, the atheist can argue till they're blue in their face about all the reasons that they have not to believe in the existence of God, not to believe in the miraculous resurrection of Jesus Christ. But no one can argue with a changed life, someone whose story is forever changed because of their encounter with the resurrected Jesus. We'll turn back to that in a moment. First of all, the resurrection is historically factual. And the second thing is that the resurrection is theologically central. As we look at this passage, we see that the resurrection is the lifeblood of the gospel. If we go back to verses 3 and 4 of 1 Corinthians 15, he says, For I delivered unto you as of first importance what I also received. That Jesus Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. His death was prophesied by the scripture. And that he was buried and that he was raised the third day also in accordance with the scripture. Paul says that these truths right here, that Jesus Christ died for our sins, that he was buried and that he was risen again the third day by the power of God. He says this is of first importance. Has your child ever come to you with something that they were just like, it was just bubbling out of them. They were so eager. Like, mommy, mommy, daddy, daddy, I've got to tell you this really, really important thing. And you're like, okay, that sounds really, really important. Like, you're here in the the, the panting of the breath and the fact that you just interrupted our conversation in the, 
the look on your face, it, it all communicates some extreme urgency. So I'm expecting what follows either to be like, they, maybe they saw the risen Jesus outside, we should go take a look. Maybe, maybe someone, like on the other end of the spectrum, maybe someone died. Like there's something seriously urgent going on here. And, uh, and then they're like, Mommy, Mommy, Daddy, Daddy, I found some gum on the ground. You're like, okay, that's gross. And that's not really all that important. You kind of like oversold it, kid. You kind of came in here and like, like the, there was a fire somewhere. And we're like, okay, that's not that big of a deal. Kind of a letdown. Well, I want you to know that when the Apostle Paul says that the gospel message that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again for our sins, when he says it's of first importance, Paul is not overselling it. Paul is not touting something that that can't deliver on its promises. The Apostle Paul wants us to know that without the resurrection, everything falls apart. Everything. If we had time to go on and continue to walk through 1 Corinthians 15, and we'll do that in a few weeks here, but if we had time to do it this morning, we would see that Paul just lays it all out there, and he's like, guys, we're a bunch of miserable liars. We're a hopeless bunch of wrecks. Like We can walk away from this, this whole shebang if the resurrection is not true. You see, what Scripture goes on to tell us in other places is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ fully made salvation possible. Jesus' death on the cross was only the first part. But without the resurrection... It all would have fallen apart. Places like Romans 4.25, he says, Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses. That's the, that's the crucifixion. But he was raised for our justification. For us to be made right with God, the resurrection had to have taken place. In 1 Peter 1.3, Peter writes this. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ to the dead. This morning, if you have hope at all in Jesus Christ, in God himself, it is because Jesus is alive. That's why we, we get pretty excited on Easter. We all know that, like historically speaking, it wasn't April 4th that Jesus came out of the grave. We don't exactly know the, the date. But when we come together on Easter morning to celebrate, there's a reason that we make such a big deal about it. Because without the resurrection, my brothers and sisters, we would not have that living hope, that living hope we just sang about. I don't know about you this morning, but this last 12, 13 months has been a very difficult stretch. I think Probably I can say for all of us, I don't want to speak for your personal experience. For some, you've walked through some of the deepest valleys of your life. For others, it's been sort of an inconvenience. You felt some frustrations here and there. My wife and I were reflecting yesterday on some of the, the things that we have walked through and the things that we have watched others walk through, not just this past year, 
but dark, dark valleys, loss of children, abuse and abandonment. And what we come back to, as we were talking last night, what we, we kept coming back to is that, the, the, how, do you, how do you get through these things without hope? What do you tell yourself if you don't have Jesus? How do, you, how do you endure life's gravest and darkest trials? The reason Peter calls this a living hope is because the resurrection of Jesus Christ secured an actual abiding hope that remains with us day in and day out. Our hope is not just that the bad thing ends someday. Our hope is not just that the bank account will one day look a little better. The hope isn't that we get better from this sickness. The hope that abides and that remains and that sustains us is that Jesus has risen again. He proved that the grave is not the end. He demonstrated through his resurrection that he has power over death and suffering. And while in this earth we still suffer and we still walk through grievous trials, we know that Jesus has secured our future victory with his own victory over sin. And so for those of you who know Jesus, who follow Jesus, who have trusted in Jesus in your Savior, this is Paul's promise to you. He says in verse 1, he says, this gospel I preach to you, it's the gospel in which you stand. It's the gospel, verse 2, by which you are being saved. Notice the present continuous sense. There's an ongoing aspect to our salvation. And then he says the qualifier, if you hold fast to the word that I preach to you, unless you've believed in vain. For those of you who call yourself Christians this morning, for those of you who would name the name of Christ, here's my encouragement and challenge to you. The Bible teaches that this process of God's saving us is not over yet. That God is at work continually conforming us to the image of, son, of His Son. But His challenge to us is to hold fast to the Word. This year has been a year where many have been tempted to just walk away. In fact, you could... Do surveys, you can Google it this afternoon, the, the number of people who have, have left the church throughout this last year, for whatever reason. Paul's call to us is to hold fast to what we have believed. This morning, are you standing firm in the gospel and the finished work of Jesus Christ upon the cross and his defeat of death through the resurrection, are you standing in it? Are you holding fast? Are you clinging to the cross of Jesus Christ? Are you holding fast to his word, to the truth of his resurrection? The last thing I want to share with you this morning is that the resurrection is radically personal. The resurrection is radically personal. 
as Paul so often does in 1 Corinthians, he inserts some of his own biography, some of his own heartbeat. And he says in verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 15, he says, I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. Many of you know Paul's story. You can read about it in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 9. And Paul was was known as Saul, was persecuting the church. He wanted nothing to do with Christianity. But he wasn't like one of those like passive um, people that just had like very little opinion. Just like, I got nothing to do for that. No, no, no. He was aggressively and proactively trying to destroy and tear apart the church. Not a church building, but the church of God. And he was persecuting Christians and he had them thrown into prison. And one day as he was traveling to Damascus, God appeared to him. And he heard the voice of Jesus calling out to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And from that day on, Saul's life was forever changed. And the resurrection to him became radically personal. As he tells us here in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, that when God's grace came to him, he was never the same. Paul was overcome by the grace of the resurrection, that someone as awful as him could be loved and welcomed by God. You see, when Paul says he's unworthy to be called an apostle, he's not just spouting forth some kind of false humility. He's not just speaking empty words out there, ah, shucks, guys, it's nothing. He says, by the grace of God and only by the grace of God, I am what I am. He says, I'm unworthy to be called an apostle. This is what else he said about himself in 1 Timothy chapter 1. He says, I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. You see, some of us are tempted to rush in and rescue Paul. Like, oh, Paul, don't talk about yourself like that. Come on. In our day and age, right, like that kind of self-talk is, is, we see it as too negative. Come on, Paul, you can't say that about yourself. You're not that bad after all. The Word of God makes it clear, and we talked about it Friday night here, that our sin is that bad. And Paul did get a glimpse of just how wretched, just how awful he was in the sight of God and how much he deserved eternal separation from God as a punishment, as a just punishment for his sins. But Paul recognized that God had shown him unbelievable and unmerited grace. I have a hard time believing that Paul could write words like that, but I received mercy without tears covering the page on which he wrote. 
I have a hard time believing that Paul could write about the grace of God. By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. Without stopping to weep and to worship before Almighty God. Who would love him so much that he would be willing to save someone like Paul? You see, when Paul tells us that the resurrection is of first importance, when we speak about this being the most important moment in all of human history, I do not believe for a moment that we are exaggerating. I don't believe that we're overstating the matter. The theologian Yaroslav Pelikan once wrote, If Christ is risen, then nothing else matters. And if Christ is not risen, well, then nothing else matters. Everything is changed by this moment. The most important moment, the most important day in all of human history. This morning, we come to worship the risen Savior, and we stand before not a literal empty tomb, and we worship because we recognize and we worship God for changing our lives through this most important day. But if you're here this morning and, and You've never personally believed that message. You've never personally believed in Jesus as the one who died for your sins, the one who was buried and rose again from the dead so that he might save you. My prayer is that this Easter morning would become the most important day in your life. That you would receive the grace of God like the Apostle Paul did. And that your life might be transformed by his unstoppable, unfathomable love. Here in a moment, we're going to celebrate communion together. If, you're, if you are a Christian, if you have been changed by that grace of God and you're a follower of Christ, we want to invite you to, to celebrate communion. But if... if you're not. If, if that's not, you've never taken that moment to trust Christ as your Savior, I want to invite you to come up, not to take communion, but to come up and, and pray with me. I'd love to talk to you more about this after the service if you want. Because there is nothing more important in all of your life that you will do than look to Jesus as your Savior, the one who has died for your sin, the one who has conquered death by rising again. I would love to know that this Easter morning, April 4th, 2021, that the resurrection became the most important day in your life. As we celebrate communion, if, if you've never had it here with us, uh, in a moment I'm going to pray and our worship team will come on up. And uh, we want to just invite you to come up out of your seat. Um, if, 
to kind of help with the traffic flow if you go out on, the, on, the, on your right of the pew and just kind of make a circle back on to the opposite side. But then just come on up to the front. There's a cup with um, uh, bread in it, uh, and then there's also individual cups with um, the, the juice in it, and just you can take one and return to your seat and partake as, as you're ready. Um, there's a small tray up here with some gluten-free bread if, if that is of importance to you. And then also you'll see some uh, empty uh, plates up here. On the first Sunday of every month, it's our tradition to take up an offering for those in our church family who might be struggling in some way or in, in some kind of financial difficulty. Uh, we call it our benevolence offering. And so if you feel led to give uh, to that uh, beyond your normal offerings and tithes, and uh, we, we, would, we would love to have you do that. But if you're visiting here, there's no, there's no pressure or anything like that. We're just glad you're worshiping with us. There's no obligation to give. I'm glad you came and celebrated Easter here with us this morning. And I pray that as you go forth today that um, the, the rest of Easter does not simply get drowned, drowned out with those wonderful celebrations. And they are precious and they are wonderful with family or traveling or a good bite to eat. But make sure you take time to come back and circle around to the reason that we make such a big day of today. The reason that we rejoice, the reason that we celebrate, because our Savior lives. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you for raising Jesus from the dead. We thank you that we don't have an empty faith. We thank you that we don't have a faith that is in vain, worthless, and as Paul says, just going nowhere. But we can be rest assured that our resurrected Savior has secured a living and abiding hope. God, we thank you that Jesus paid it all upon the cross. I thank you that we know that that's not the end, that the grave wasn't the last chapter. We pray, God, that this morning our hearts would be flooded with worship and joy and praise. Knowing just how much Jesus loves us. Knowing just how great and awesome our God truly is. Father, for those here this morning... Maybe we're invited by a family member. Maybe came because going to church is what you do on Easter. These words from the Apostle Paul about a living Savior, they were, they were new. They were, they were strange as we spoke this morning. Father, if there's hearts this morning that are being convicted that they want to encounter the resurrected Jesus and have their lives changed by unfathomable grace, just like the Apostle Paul did, may today be that day that they come and meet Jesus. Father, we thank you power that raised Jesus from the dead, that it's alive and at work within your people.
pray, God, that you would work in our hearts today as we celebrate a risen Savior. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.